Thank you for tuning in to the 2WA podcast, where we discuss topics relevant to leaders and tactics for change and growth. Today, we're focusing in on how to manage change. I'm here with my business partner, Michael Howes. It's Anne Birmingham speaking. And we're talking about how to handle change, how to handle resistance and things to avoid. So why don't we start, Michael, by sharing what for you classifies change and, and maybe talk a little bit about the different types of change. Well, there's probably lots of different ways to, to think about this. Um, one of the things we always talk about is that most people don't mind change if it happens to someone else. And I think you can dial that back to say, uh, people realize that change happens all the time. Um, it's, it's, everyone, nobody would disagree with that statement and no one would have an issue with it. What people don't like is change that might be, f- from their point of view, forced upon them, which they didn't necessarily have a lot of control over. And that's usually the type of change that we're talking about. So what could that look like? That could look like your boss deciding that we're moving buildings, we're going to merge, we're going to, we're going to break off part of our business, you're going to go work with so-and-so now. Those are all changes that all of a sudden take you out of your comfort zone. They aren't changes you'd planned. You'd kind of gotten used to how things were, and someone else has decided that that change will happen. Now, you can juxtapose that, by the way, alongside someone who may decide that, I don't really like this job anymore, and I don't like working here, and I'm going to go out and find my own new job, and wow, I really like it now. That's a change they're okay with. So change is really often about the degree to which I had some control, some say, some input, or was it, so to speak, done to me? There actually is a fair bit of research that will show in order to have a sense of control, one needs information and one needs choice. And so that's one reason I think you often hear around managing change. There's a lot about communication, and and we agree with that. There's an enormous amount of information that people need in order to cope better with the change, even ones they like and want and ones that are imposed upon them, as as you were referencing. But the other part that uh, is often underlooked is the ability to give people choice. So while they may not be able to choose to have an area of their business uh, hived off or a new process introduced or a new software system coming in, being given choices within, once it is being imposed, helps people immensely. So information and choice are really critical to uh, managing change. When we're talking about the kind of change that's organizational change, it's a bit like tectonic plates. Tectonic plates, pressure builds up for change, which for tectonic plates is movement because that's where the plates of the earth rub up against each other. It causes an earthquake when they slip. And there's probably not a bad analogy there. The problem is there's always forces on us to change. There's always forces on organizations, but they may not res- they may resist some of the changes or they may not get to them yet. Or, yeah, we should do that. We'll get to it tomorrow. But think about that just as resistance to the change for the moment. But change will always overcome it. At some point, there'll be a slip. And all of a sudden, boy, we need to make a big change here. Big movement. No, it wasn't too bad. It was a little bit. Okay, smaller change. And in some cases, as you know, with earthquakes, things can be destroyed. So there's organizations that disappeared because those tectonic plates, if you like, of change, of forces, they didn't adapt to them in time or at all. Think of a company that goes bankrupt. I'll use Nortel, an older example, but that was a company that was considered, you know, the crown jewel of the Canadian corporate scene, and it disappeared in about three, four years. At the end of the day, they didn't adapt, and when those tectonic plates have changed, that pressure built up and all finally gave way. Um, they were destroyed by it, as opposed to adapted to it. Other organizations, they keep their, you know, they keep their ears to the ground, so to speak, 
and they're always looking to make sure that they can spot the next change that's coming and start to adapt to it. And that's really important. So, you know, building on that, change is an event. It's something that happens to you. And the way you know it is that people always use the adjective new. We're going to have a new baby. We have a new boss. We have a new software program. We have a new marketing campaign. And there's always a date associated with it. It takes effect uh, February 10th. It takes effect um, at the end of the year. Transition, as, uh, as you were so well describing, Michael, is the invisible process that we have to go through in order to adjust to that change. And the transition starts long before the change takes effect, and the transition continues for a long, long time after uh, the change has taken effect. So um, that is one part that I think leaders really make a mistake of, is that they, in fact, I'm coaching someone right now, and their head office had the move to a different kind of software program, and they transitioned uh, early in the new year, and she got a note from head office saying, so that's great that that change is now complete. And she chuckled because she knows that her team has not yet fully embraced it, uh, there's a lot of hiccups. There's a lot of um, resistance still happening uh, with other suppliers. The transition till everyone is fully utilizing uh, and working with that change will be months, um, if not possibly a year. Um, and so that is very much different, the transition than the change. Uh, amen. And, and so when we, we talk about you know, people resist change, they really just resist transition. They really are just resisting having to make their own personal changes because that's uncomfortable. An individual to make progress. So let's talk a little bit about what should be in a change and transition plan. And so certainly one element is to have very regular communication back to that information and choice. People need to know what's going on. But it's not just regular communication. It's communication where people are given a part to play. And so if, again, everyone keeps doing this to me, um, that's a lot harder to engage if. If instead I have an opportunity to go to a focus group and uh, see the plan and offer what I think might be obstacles to the plan, then I have a part to play. Or perhaps uh, want to talk about some of the ways in which we could use the new software. What are some additional ways in which it could be applied to help deal with our productivity issues? And I can go to a brainstorming meeting and help provide some input to that then being given a part to play in the change can help immensely. Uh, one of the other things that has to be built into a change and transition plan is making sure that the leaders and everyone is taking time to acknowledge what it is that people have to let go of, what people have to end in order for the new uh, change to take hold. And so it's in transition, that is the first phase, is what we call the phase of endings. So even in the most positive change, um, you have a new baby, for example, a wonderfully positive change, there are a lot of losses as you become a parent for the first time. You lose uh, your sense of um, personal time with your spouse. You lose a little bit of your sense of identity. I don't mind saying that I left uh, Jim Bree uh, one time just crying my eyes out because I realized in that circle I was just Carmichael's mother and I wasn't Anne Birmingham anymore. And uh, that's not logical and that's not rational, but that sense of identity, that sense of loss. So every change has that. So what we find often is that people don't take the time to think about that. Uh, use an example of a merger we're involved in right now. 
and uh, a smaller company being integrated into a bigger company. And uh, people haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the people in the bigger company and what's the loss for them. And for some of the people, it is a loss of, but I'm used to working in my small group of four, and now there's going to be six. I'm used to working in a certain area. I always thought of us as this in terms of the identity. And leaders really need to take the time to acknowledge what it is that people are having to give up. What leaders usually do, as soon as they see a little bit of that resistance or they see a little bit of that, and I'm putting air quotes around negativity and talking about the way it used to be, they come in with a big rallying speech. Raw, raw, let me remind you why this new software is so great and why this new uh, organizational structure is so fantastic when all that people want to hear is some acknowledgement of, I know we have lots of reasons why we're doing this, but I appreciate it and I'm really sorry that you have to let that go, that you're going to have to stop being that small little group and that that's going to be tough. And I acknowledge that. And um, it's that lack of acknowledgement of what people have to give up that causes so much of the resentment that we see in organizations. It's how you do the change. It's not the change itself. The worst change in terms of the most disruptive to people's lives, if done properly, can still come through successfully. Something very simple that you would think would be a no-brainer, again, if not done properly, can fail. And it's all about leaders knowing at their level the parts of the change they can identify and push, knowing there's so many details down below that they would never think of. For instance, so in the uh, this merger that we were, were dealing with, they're getting towards the end of the year, and they're, they're trying to get everything done so they can have a January 1 start date legally. And uh, it wasn't absolutely clear on such things as how the technology would talk to each other. So all of a sudden you couldn't get key financial data back and forth because we didn't really think about the idea of how long it would take to get this computer system to talk to this computer system so we can put out a set of books which we're going to need to close the... So the details of the change hadn't necessarily been thought all the way through. And that's okay from a leader's perspective as long as you don't then say it's unimportant. What you should say is let's involve some other people. You're right, that's a really good point. You guys go away and solve that, but I need a solution in you know X number of days. Uh, a lot of leaders, back to Anne's uh, point, will just come in and do reiterate why this is such a great idea because any resistance is deemed to be negativity versus what it could be is someone saying, I don't think you've thought of this. And nothing shoots change in the foot faster than people all of a sudden thinking, I'm not sure these guys know what they're doing in relation to the ones leading the change. So one of the things Michael and I often do first is try and analyze the reason for the resistance. And there's three forms of resistance. There's intellectual resistance, which is I don't get it. So I literally don't understand how is that going to work? How will that software adjust for my clients? Um, and this is the kind of resistance that can be solved by communication. The second kind of resistance is what we call personal resistance, and it has to do with I don't like it. Now, I might say I don't get it, but I really just don't like it. So I don't like having to give up my sense of control or my sense of comfort. We were working in an organization that implemented a new software, and some of the individuals just said I, I don't like the, the loss of um routine. I don't like the loss of control. I don't like having to press these buttons instead of those buttons. I don't like uh, the fact that I don't feel so competent. And so that second kind of resistance can certainly be dealt with 
in terms of building in your transition plan. The third kind of resistance is core resistance. And with core resistance, it's really that I my values don't line up or I don't agree with the, um, the principles of this. And it's truly core. It's uh, very hard to overcome. Uh, and so some of those people uh, elect to leave. One of the things that we highly recommend that organizations do, though, is before they dismiss those people, is really trying to explore some of the causes of the core as well as the personal resistance. And one of the things that we often do is put into place a sounding board or a transition monitoring committee, we call them either. When we have about a third of the people, we recommend to the organization that they get a third of the people who are really excited about the change and a third of the people that are truly neutral on the fence could go one way or the other. And then a third are those really vocal, you know, I think someone called it anti-champions, but um, that they are the individuals who are truly... I maybe even against the change. And we make sure that all are in this transition monitoring because if you just ask for volunteers, you're just going to get the people that like the change. We find that by regularly checking in with them and ask them where do they see examples of the new behaviors showing up and where do they, and ask them for other examples to show if the change is working or not, they give us a very good handle on the people side of change. But they're also incredibly helpful because the day that that core resistor or very anti-change person embraces the change, that person will bring the last of all the others with them. So we like to be able to watch them very closely and see what it is it's going to take. And usually if you uh, address a lot of their obstacles, uh, you bring them into the circle, you give them opportunity, they will come along. Many of them, not all, but many of the core resistors will, will change. But you often have that person who's difficult seemingly for no reason at all. Don't lose sight of the fact that people who are hard to manage still may have very good ideas. People who are difficult to manage see things differently than perhaps everyone else. And to know what they're thinking can be extremely valuable. So we would still come back to the point that you need to deal with the resistance. You need to deal with and explain things thoroughly. Make sure that if indeed we're at core uh, resistance, identify that so you can say something to the effect of okay so it's it sounds like just fundamentally you just think the change is wrong and you can't live with it you know if you're getting to that kind of of a discussion then it's really easy to know what to do next but until you get to that point try and make as much use of these folks to understand why they're resisting again just without you know uh, elaborating and too much is you may have missed some details that other people are thinking about that'll make your change go all the better so treat everyone um equitably make sure everyone gets listened to no matter whether they're the person that always seems to be saying no or that person maybe that always seems to be saying yes one of the things that i have seen that work very well we've done it many times with uh, our, org- our our clients is to make sure that the organization can um first of all very clearly articulate what is the problem that the change is intended to solve so, so often organizations talk about the solution and not the problem, and then have some very clear metrics that have been identified that they use from the very beginning to measure the change. So let me give an example of an engineering company we're working with, and they identified a problem uh, which related to the fact that they were not very as effective as they wanted to be in project management. And so what did that look like and why was status quo not an option? Uh, Three reasons. The first one was 
that because their project management and their communication with their client was not as clear as it could be, when an invoice went out, there was a lot of back and forth and back and forth of client. I didn't know that was in scope. I didn't know that was. So by the time all that happens and it gets signed off, the invoices were on average taking 96 days to get paid. The second reason for the change was that when they had analyzed their financial results of the year before, they discovered they had $325,000 that went unbilled because they lost the the uh, conversation with the client and they therefore had done the work but it was never um, deemed in scope. So that was $325,000 that could drop to the bottom line. And the third reason was when they interviewed people in their staff survey and they asked them, how clear are you about what role you are to play in the project and how clear is the communication and how stressful do you find working on projects that the scores were quite high. In other words, not on the ideal side. I think they used a 10-point scale. I think it averaged around 8, uh, and they wanted to be more like 2 or 3. What this organization did that was very effective, and it's just one example, but they then declared, we're going to put a much greater emphasis on project management. We're introducing project management software. We're changing the role of our project managers. They have more authority and they had a variety of changes. But they, they outlined those three key reasons to change and then they measured every two months where they were against those three changes and were transparent and shared that with everyone. So they would show that after two months, they went from 96 days to 88 days payable. Not great, but at least it was a shift in the right direction. So then they outlined the plan of what they needed to do to improve that. They showed that, oh, in terms of um, stressful and communication, actually hadn't shifted at all. Okay, we, we acknowledge that. Here are the additional things. So they didn't just show the results when it was good. They showed the results all the way through for a full year to demonstrate and measure that the change was working. And uh, so that's one thing that leaders could really do is before they start, figure out what the problem is and figure out how they're gonna measure if the problem gets solved. One of the things that I find, whether the organization is small or large, whether the change is small or large, one of the best things to look at before you go to roll out the change is do you have an answer to the following five Ps, what we call the five Ps. So the first is, can you articulate really clearly what is the problem that your change is intended to solve? So back to, can you answer why status quo is not an option? And just, we want to work smarter, we want to work better, is not answering why status quo is not an option. So you need a clear articulation of why you cannot stay where you are. The second thing that you need to do is be able to have an articulation of what the picture would look like. So when the change is fully implemented, what will it look like? So being able to describe where we are today, where we are tomorrow, what would be the same and what would be different. And people need to know both of those um, in terms of uh, same and different. The third one is what is our plan? What are we going to do this month and next month and the month after in order to drive that change forward? The fourth part is what is your part and what are the parts of others? So what specific role can you play? What specific role can your team play? What specific role can the uh, procurement team play, et cetera, et cetera. And then the fifth one is being able to measure progress and so monitor progress. So what are we going to use to monitor if our plan is on track, if we're managing the transition, that we're addressing resistance, but also ultimately if the solution has solved the problem that we're setting out to, to solve. So it's problem, picture, plan, part, and progress. 
what we find is that many leaders start to articulate a change with only a few of those sorted out. We find that unless you have all five sorted out, you're going to have troubles uh, ahead. Even if you have all five sorted out, there's still challenges with change, but it will be greatly reduced. And one of the things that we find as well is that those five Ps can serve you well again and again, not just in deciding about the change or preparing to launch the change, but as a communication tool as you go forward. So let's say you're two months into the change. People need to be reminded what was the problem that we set out to do now that it's so messy and uh, they need to be reminded why we're doing this. The picture should get clearer, so you should have updates about what's new and different that you can now articulate. The plan should be changing because you have what you're going to do the next couple months. You should be always giving people a part to play, and you should have updates on your progress. So we find those five Ps can be very, very helpful for leaders as they drive forward. If you're not currently making a change, you will. Uh, you've Or you've recently made a change, and there'll be more to come. So get better at it. Get some help, and and, and uh, certainly 2WA is, is happy to provide some, some conversations, some leadership, uh, some process around that. But even within your own organization, get help. If you if something needs to be done, make sure it gets done. Don't avoid it because you hate change. Um, that's just going to make things worse. Include other people in the conversation so that you can get to the point where there's enough voices that will be hopefully uh, allow you to clarify the way forward, which I think is what people need, and that should give you uh, a lot of a lot of help there. Um, avoiding it is the thing that we always advocate not to do. Uh, things will get worse and change those tectonic plates. They're going to move anyway. You want to make sure you're planning for it. This is Michael House and Ann Birmingham from 2WA Consulting. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>